Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Donna Tatro, who will be talking with us about her new book, The Castle Method. Donna, I am so excited to be interviewing today, and I can't wait to share all of the information. Well, not all of the information. We can't give it all away, but the information about The Castle Method, this life-changing, relationship-changing book. Let's dive into it. So before we do that, tell us a little bit about what makes you, you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Carla. I'm so excited to be here. What makes me, me? Well, I am a mom, first and foremost, to two boys who are 13 and 14 years old. I'm in those teen years now. -hmm. (laughs) I've been a parenting journalist for over 10 years. I do a lot of reporting on TV. I do a lot of writing. Before that, I was a general assignment reporter in Los Angeles for many years. And then before that, I was a teacher, elementary school teacher. So I have been in this child area for a long time with a little bit of a stint in just general assignment reporting. But um, that's me. (laughs) Lovely, lovely. And what a background that seems just to flow naturally into authoring a book. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it is. Okay. So the castle method, I'm looking at you and our guests can't see it, but this gorgeous book with this beautiful, vibrant cover of the castle method with a beautiful multicolored castle underneath. So tell us a little bit about the castle method. Yeah. Um, I love the cover. I actually, I just was so happy with Familius. And it's gorgeous. So the castle method is an acronym that's used as a metaphor mm-hmm. to build the castle or the family of your dreams, not the perfect family, but the best version of your unique family. And so CASTLE stands for compassion, acceptance, security, trust, love, expectations, plus education. And all of these are foundational principles to build that foundation for your family. Okay, so let's move through each letter. Okay, so let's start with C for compassion. Tell us why compassion is important in a a family. Yeah, so to have these building blocks um, is really important and and to build them in early on in life. But at any time, you can really reset and decide what you want to do with your family. So compassion is the biggest component here. It's what sets everything else up. So when we talk about empathy, teaching empathy to our children, having empathy, compassion takes it to the next level. So empathy is being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but compassion takes it a step further in that you are working to alleviate the suffering of another. So when we bring in compassion to our family and into our parenting, and we start there, when the chaos has ensued, we can step back, reset, and look at it and reframe it in compassion and then parent. And so when we have this compassionate mindset and we practice it, 
We're really bringing out the best in our family. Also, compassion is included in self-compassion. So as, as parents, we want to teach our children self-compassion, but as parents, we need to model it and we need to be self-compassionate to ourselves as parents. And that is a crucial part of this book that really runs throughout the book having self-compassion as a parent because we are up against so much as parents in this world right now shootings drugs social media academic achievement pressure and so we really want to start with compassion oh i absolutely love it so let's take a real life example let's imagine a five-year-old in the middle of a grocery store all eyes are on us and the little one is picking this perfect time for a tantrum how can we show compassion to the child and also the other people in the grocery store and also to ourselves what might that look like i love that and that's such a good example because we've all been there all done it <laughs> in the market feeling oh my gosh so out of control right and feeling embarrassed exhausted, overwhelmed when this is happening. But when we look at our child and we understand, well, maybe he's tired, maybe he's hungry, maybe he doesn't wanna be here. Maybe he's upset about something that we have no idea about that we picked him up from kindergarten and he's not feeling well. So we wanna start with that and reset and not go into stop that, stop that, don't do that. We wanna try to get down to their level, just like we would physically get down to their level, but then get down to them and say, what's happening, what's going on. If it's screaming in the market, it's kind of okay. We need to stop. We need to see what they're feeling and help them through that feeling. And if you can't help them stop, then we're going to bring them outside to then kind of get them outside. But it's really about being true to yourself as a parent and knowing that something's going on. I don't need to worry about all the outside influences that are happening people looking at me what why is this child out of control that must be a horrible mother going on and on no 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 we know something's going on with child so be compassionate to myself as mom compassionate to child to understand and not shush them for what's going on really just taking that time and space to handle the tantrum beautifully beautifully put i also noticed that as you're speaking judgment's gone out the window you're not judging you're not judging yourself you're not judging child you're simply saying we have an issue here let's focus on it let's focus on the emotions underneath the issue and let's tend to it in this really lovely non-judgmental big compassion way beautiful okay let's move to a a for right. acceptance acceptance is so crucial right so we know there's so much research based on the fact that acceptance and rejection are very important in the family. We know even perceived rejection by the child changes the brain. We know this from research. So this is us educating ourselves as parents to understand and educate ourselves that when we don't accept our child, whether or not they're LGBTQ or a child who is like having that tantrum in the store, we need to really have the acceptance of that child who they are and not judge and not then 
turn that into something else that then changes who this person is. We do not want to change what is intrinsic to that person. So we need to accept a child for who they are in every way. And so I think this is really important for parents to understand and know this research, because when I was researching for the book, when I learned about this, I thought, isn't that quite interesting? Even if I don't agree with my child about something, my reaction can be this perceived rejection to my child. So having that awareness, we're not going to ever be perfect in this. But having that awareness, and if we don't perfectly accept our child, being aware of it and going back and saying, child, I'm sorry, I failed you in this. I do accept you. I love you. We can always reset and restart. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do. And that's that self-compassion as a parent to say, I'm not perfect. I'm doing my best. I can reset this way. Beautiful, just beautiful. And I also noticed as you're talking that piece where acceptance is not only the antithesis of rejection, but it also then means that we're not shaming and, and judging. Again, the lack of judgment and shame, of course, research also shows, as you know, shame is not good for the brain either. It is not good for body, mind, or spirit. And so when we move from that approach that is so natural for many people, because we were often raised with a lot of shame and guilt, and you should do this, you should do that, you should be like this. And so when we remove that shaming vocabulary, the child is what? Do you think more able to prosper? I really do. Yes. Really, really just looking at our child as a unique individual who is unfolding before us and who is just doing the best that they can in that moment, whatever the circumstances, we're removing that shame, like you said. And it's the worst feeling when you feel shame. I know the person when I feel shame, ooh, that doesn't feel good, right? And so we want to try to eliminate as much as possible and alleviate. And not to say that this is not gonna occur, this is gonna happen, they have to build that resilience. People are gonna shame them outside of the home, of course, but what can we do to broaden out our child and allow them to be who they are because we are promoting Mm self-acceptance? Beautiful. And, you know, another really interesting piece when we're talking about brains and the effect on the brains is that our brains don't learn when we're shamed. So if we're shaming our child or shaming ourselves for that matter, we're shutting down our ability to actually learn of, well, okay, I made a mistake or I did this. How can I do it better? So it so that's another important piece for us to share with all of you listeners out there. We don't want to be doing the shaming because we don't learn when we shame. So I have a question for you. I can almost envision a parent who's listening saying, well, but my son wants to listen to his, you know, music on his phone or when we're having dinner or play on his phone when we're doing family things. Should I accept that? It's not really part and parcel of our family values. Do I accept that behavior? Does that behavior fall under your A for acceptance? How do we deal that? Yeah, I love this question. Such a good question. So when we move through the castle method, we move into expectations. And so an expectation of the family is we don't use the phone at dinner. We, you know, don't lock ourselves in the room with the phone all night. 
that is not part of the acceptance I'm talking about. We have expectations as a family. Our mission statements include the values and what we are going to do and incorporate as a family. So the acceptance is about accepting the individual, the child for who they are inside, who they are supposed to be in their lives and not trying to steer their lives, but allowing them to unfold as they should and following them on their path, accepting their path. So the expectations of things that uh, <laughs> like not doing your homework or things like that. No, that's not acceptable in our family because our value systems, we value education and we want you to do your best in that. But I love that question. So good. Well, we jumped to the E, so we have a little background yeah. <laughs> on the E. So thank you for taking us to the E. And but they, and also thank you for clarifying that because I'm sure many parents look and say, well, goodness, I should accept whatever the child wants then when really it sounds like, wait, we accept you as an individual. We guide you along gently. We don't helicopter you or force you or steamroll you, but we do guide you. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. You said it beautifully. Okay. <laughs> On to S4. Security. It's like, oh my goodness. I love this one. So okay. Security is so important, right? And we normally think about security as parents, as physical security, of course, right? We're going to protect our child, but we really need to lock into emotional security. Mm -hmm. I don't think as parents, we're necessarily trained or taught how to provide emotional security to our children. And really one way, one strategy that I use throughout the book and inside of this security chapter is emotional security. And so how do we do that? We can practice managing our emotions. When we learn how to manage our emotions, we teach our children that, but as parents, we need to manage our emotions to model that behavior. So if we can provide this emotional security for our children, letting our children know all of your feelings matter, even the uncomfortable ones, they're, they matter and I want to hear you and I want to help you move through them to the next positive emotion if possible. But when we are able to manage our emotions and provide this skill set to our children, we really are opening up a different world. I mean, SEL is considered a soft skill. This soft skill needs to be taught in the home. It's kind of haphazard in the schools. It's not this run through all the way. So we really need to practice this emotional security. And I really like to say, because I have two boys, we know with toxic masculinity that we have to provide this skill set to our boys because research shows us they don't start out toxic. It is brought in through the culture. And so because we know society is promoting this, we need to inside the home provide this emotional security for our boys to be able to feel those emotions like we do with little girls. Absolutely. So let's for our listeners, tell us a little bit more about SEL. So SEL is social emotional learning, and that's usually found in the school. You know, it's found in lots of books too, children's picture books and stuff. But when we're teaching this to our kids inside the home, we have to kind of become an expert in managing our own emotions and building character in our family and also providing opportunities to allow our kids to go out into the world and help others. We need to have this social skill. All the academics aren't going to matter, according to all these uh, 
people are hiring our kids now, they don't have the social skills. If they don't have the empathy and the compassion to build around a team, or if they don't have the empathy or compassion in their leadership, they won't be good leaders. So we, this is something that we got to build into parenting early on. And it's not just about physical security anymore. It's about this emotional security that's built in early on. And then that also leads us to better mental health and well-being, of course. I agree with you. You wouldn't, I mean, so many of my clients will say, and friends and people I know will say, oh my goodness, I had everything in my life on a material level. I had a roof, I had health care, mom and dad were there more or less, right? But I had every material thing. But what I didn't have was emotional connection, tender, loving care. And I 100% agree with you, which is why I got so excited when you said that it's security we're talking about because giving a child a home and, you know, food, clothing, shelter, right? So important. But even maybe even more important is that sense that they matter, that they are safe, that mom and dad are consistent or that mom, you know, whoever's the the caretakers, that there's consistency, safety, security. So I am with you on that 100%. (laughs) Let's move to T. Tell us about T. Yeah. Trust, I think, is um, something that we really have to build into ourselves as parents and then also allow ourselves to trust our children. I love the quote by Maria Montessori, who was an Italian physician and educator. And she said, don't ever do something for a child that he can do for himself. It's, that's not verbatim, but it's basically that do not do something for a child he can do for himself. This is saying to your child, I trust you. I trust you to tie your shoes. I'm not going to run you out of the out of the door quickly because I don't trust you to figure out how to tie your shoes. You're going to build in that space and time to do it. We want to build in I trust you. You're capable. I trust what you believe is right for you. I trust you. And so when we allow that child, they they build and they feel that and that builds resilience, but also the trust piece for parents. Parents, I want parents to get to a point with this book and in this kind of movement of the castle method to trust themselves in their parenting, to trust their instincts. There is a lot of information out there in the world. You know your child best. No one can even come close. You know your kid. If you're paying attention, you know your kid. So if something comes up, Trust what you're thinking and believing and then go to the education part of it and and educate yourself on it. But I want parents to feel this sense of I can be this parenting expert in my family because I know my kid and I want to help my kid be the best version of himself. So I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to trust me that we're working together to allow this child to be the best version of himself. Beautifully, beautifully put. And I do have a question for you, though. So what do we do? So trust is so important because trust breeds more of the safety, more of the security. When we're in a trusting environment, we trust ourselves, we trust our kids, we trust, you know, if we have a significant other, 
that all builds this nice foundation of safety. It contributes to it. What happens when trust is broken? And I'm not talking about the internal trust with me trusting me or child, you know, but what happens when a child, when I break the child's trust or when the child breaks my trust? How do you, how do we handle that in the castle method? That's a really good question. I think that when a child breaks his trust with you as parent, we have to really go back to compassion again. Mm. Why, that, why was that trust broken? Child is not out to be bad. That's not intrinsic to his being. So why did that happen? And so it doesn't mean kids bad. And it doesn't mean that you have to lock kid in room and you can't go out to parties anymore because you don't trust him, you know, at a party. So we reset, we go back, we find out why, why was that? What happened? What were you afraid to talk to me? What happened? So it's again, getting into a deep sense and mindset of compassion. And that's why I said, that's the most important. And that's where we start, because if we can start there, then we can look at why things are happening. The second part I think you asked was about parent not trusting themselves. Let me rephrase it, okay? That sure. if I do something as the parent to break the child's trust. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe I said something and said, do it this way, but I realized I'm not doing it. So I'm not being a good role model. And the child then won't trust me because I say, do what I say, not what I do. Exactly. And that just doesn't work with kids anymore. <laughs> I say not what I do, right? Our kids are too smart for that. And they want to expand and be who they are. But the reality is inside of the book as well, I talk a lot about practicing how to say I'm sorry and practicing how to forgive because we are imperfect as parents and we should probably let our kids in on that fact so that they don't feel that they are up against the omniscient right the almighty and so I think that when we make when we do something that takes the trust away from our child we need to say we're sorry deeply sorry. And, and there are lots of times where I will apologize to my boys and, and, and they appreciate it. And that's, that grows that forgiveness within the family. And so again, it's a skill practicing how to say, I'm sorry, practicing how to forgive because none of us is perfect. And it repairs the trust. If let's say my child, I say, okay, no cell phones during dinner. And I hop up from dinner to get my cell phone. Right. And I realize instead of getting defensive it's hey mom why did you do that or even if they don't say anything say oh i'm sorry i caught myself breaking a family agreement i apologize i'm going to actually turn my phone off in the future and keep it in another room because i want to practice what i preach I so that. i love that it, we, we, and it builds that would likely build trust again even Absolutely. if I broke it momentarily, then I could rebuild it. And that's a minor example, but there are situations where I think parents who make major mistakes, you use the same template, right? Absolutely. And I think when you say practice what I preach, I like to say practice what you teach because you are teaching your child. So if you are the teacher and you're not following what you're doing as teacher, that's, you're not going to have any buy-in with the child. They're not going to believe it. 
And you're right, as parents, as individuals, we teach every day, those little brains are noticing and absorbing everything we're doing, whether we think they are or not, we are walking teachers. So best behavior. All right, so L. Oh, you know, before we move to L, I have to just say this, it's so funny, that I also noticed when you jumped back to compassion, because I'm really seeing how all of the letters are interwoven, they're really interconnected. It also made me think, ah, you use a lot of curiosity when you're compassionate, right? That you're, you know, another C to go with the C of, of compassion is curiosity. Because every time you talk about the, the compassion piece, I really hear you getting curious. Oh my gosh, you're I love asking. It. Yes, asking. yes. Yes. You're not yes. judging. You're saying why, you know, I've noticed this and not asking in a judgmental way or rhetorical way, but really just saying, ah. Right. And you're asking. And I think that I have I, I think that my training as a journalist really got me in tune to this in my parenting, mm. in that. I have to be curious and ask a lot of questions to find out the exact reason why something's happening in a story or what's going on. And so it's not just like this blanket, like I'm going to figure this out. I see what's going on. and Oh, okay. That's what happened. No, I have to get super curious to understand and to understand the research, the people who are talking to me. And so it really translates to, being curious as a mom. And so I think that that's huge for us as parents is instead of jumping to, well, you did this and like, I know why. You don't really know why, unless you've asked the questions and tried to figure it out. So curiosity is huge. I, I think it's so, so sweet that it is right there with compassion that I noticed that you were just staying really curious and an easy skill for us parents to really nurture is, you know. Yeah. And I also think it takes the pressure off of us mm-hmm. because we don't have to be so authoritative in it. We can, we can come into a place where we're just trying to learn what's going on. Exactly. Right. right? Yeah. You're yeah. you. I don't know you 100%. Never will know you what's going on. What's going on? So as you said earlier, we're not omniscient. We're just humans, chronologically older, sometimes <laughs> chronologically older, right? Okay, so let's move to the L. Love. So uh, love yeah, love is, is a, a pretty big chapter. There's a lot going on in there. But I think that one of the things I like to talk about in the love chapter is self-love. And the reason I, you know, we, we look at like social media now and it's like hashtag self-care hashtag, you know, I'm on a beach in Miami drinking a glass of wine. That's my self-care. I'm not against vacations. Don't get me wrong, but we need to really start teaching our kids self-love early on because of what they're up against on social media and the perfection of that and academic achievement pressure and all of these things going on. We teach our children self-esteem and self-esteem is super important but that is the outside forces we're getting our self-esteem from mom dad teacher coach whoever which is great it promotes our well-being and our resilience but if child doesn't have self-love and can do something and know inside i'm good without 
anybody else telling me I'm good or they're proud of me. This is promoting a higher level of self-esteem because it's promoting self-love, which is at the core, which then can guide you through your life and not worrying about, oh, the social media person saying this about me and blah, 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 blah. And getting that self-esteem from outside forces instead, inside, inside, inside love. And I really love that perspective because when we look at for example, self-confidence, which comes from I am a good, you know, confidence in my abilities or my looks, right? I am confident that I'm a good soccer player. I'm confident that I'm good at gymnastics. I'm confident that I'm a good musician, right? And all of that. And then the parent, as you're saying, helps the child build the self-esteem by saying, and you're kind, and we're working on resilience, and we're working on compassion, and I see you made a, you know, a little hiccup over here. How can we do better, right? So the sense of self-esteem grows, right, which is working with, I see it working with your compassion, with the acceptance, with the security, it's all working together. And then the self-love, it sounds like it's just going to naturally grow from that because the child isn't saying, I'm bad, I'm worthless, I've been criticized. The child is having, it sounds as if this natural sense of natural consequences and that, yes, I have frailties, but I also have strengths. And with all of that, I can really love who I am and thus love others. Did I get that right? Absolutely. And I love it. And I, I will add that when we have our parents who are proud of us, how meaningful that is. But when what, what I like to say to parents is when a child does something that you're going to say that you're proud about, that then you also say, aren't you proud of you? And so mm. want to build that in. I'm proud of you, but aren't you really proud of you? Like, look what you did. So we're trying to really hyper-focus mm. on, on the ability to allow the child to be proud on his own. Mm. And I love that. And I think for many people, they think that showering a child with compliments, with adulation, you did this, 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 this. Some people think, oh, I don't want to do that. It'll spoil the child. Or, you know, I want to criticize instead because that hardens the child, right? We'll make the child nice and tough. But it sounds like, of course, that what we want is something that is about honoring what the child's successes are and really reinforcing that, but also holding the child accountable when there's a hiccup because self-responsibility also build self-love do you think absolutely i totally agree absolutely because when you're responsible for yourself you can take steps toward even more for yourself so i think it's just it's all this kind of melting pot mm. really growing all of these different pieces of the individual to be that best version of themselves so that they can go out into the world without mom and dad when they're adults and and really be proud of themselves for who they are. Mm, and I, I love that. So we're going to move to our last one, which we've already been to and we're circling. I just love how they're all just they work together so beautifully expectations. Tell us just a little more about expectations. Yeah. So another part of expectations is, is really to promote positivity inside 
a family and for parents yeah. and for kids. So we should expect joy. So when we have expectations, you know, we are normally talking about look like what we talked about before, you know, the expectations and values of the family system, right? But when we expect joy as a family, which we are all pre-wired as human beings to be joyful, is to bring in this positive sense and this then translates to better mental health. So we want to expect joy and happiness and positivity in our life. And when we teach gratitude, that then turns into this um, expecting joy. So there's all these elements where we can use what we were brought into this world, our nature, to, to, to grow ourselves as these confident, happy individuals. I think that a lot of times, especially now, school shootings, you know, drugs that are laced with fentanyl, all these different things that are happening, we can get caught up in this negativity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we can separate ourselves and expect joy, a joyful moment, I'm not saying, you know, joy and winning the lottery, but joyful moments, joyful accomplishments. Mm. Expecting these things in our lives will grow it more and more and more. And I absolutely love how you really made it clear that it's joyful moments, that we don't have to force to always appear to be happy, always appear to be positive. There are natural ups and downs in lives, in relationships, in families. And so if we want to, you know, we can cultivate more joy and create more joy, but it's also okay for us to have times where we don't have, where, where joy isn't present. Absolutely. I love that. And that's that bringing in again, that emotional security, knowing that yes. I have difficult emotions, yeah. but I can move through them too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of that moderation, you know, there's the ebbs and flow of life, but for the most part, we're going to try to expect joy and move forward. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's just, instead of having so high and low, high and low, mm -hmm. if we're expecting some joy, then it doesn't take us so far down or so high up either. It's just kind of this natural way of being. The, the, like you said, the ebb and flow where if a hard time comes up and things are challenging, the realization this might not be very comfortable, but we're going to move through it and we will, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to move through it. And it's OK. It's OK to be sad. You know, it's OK to be disappointed. All of these different emotions and feelings. So goodness, goodness. All right. Now I have a question for you, which might seem a bit obvious, but how can we use the castle method to make families be happier? And I'm thinking of the, the core familias values. We have the, you know, the 10 habits of the healthy families, love together, play together, learn together, work together, talk together, heal together, read together, eat together, laugh together, give together, right? And they all work in concert, interestingly enough, much like the, the pieces of the castle method, all of those tenets work together to create a, a family that is happy, <laughs> that is high functioning. So how does your method, in your eyes, help a family be really happy? 
Yeah, I really love this question. I think that the togetherness that Familius uses, I would say belonging, right? Mm. Know how important belonging is. And the goal is to be happy. Yeah. But it's also to have a sense of belonging and that family provides that belonging. Mm. And so I think that the castle method, what I'm trying to do with the castle method is to say, Hey, None of us is perfect as a parent. Our kids aren't perfect as parent. Our, our kids aren't perfect as as well. But we all have great intrinsic abilities. We all have unique versions of ourselves that we can share with one another. And when we can see each other for who we really are, the good and the bad, not necessarily bad, but the difficult we can really be a joyful, happy family. We, we're not gonna be perfectly happy all the time. Nobody can be. But what we're going for is to have, like you said, this high functioning family that is joyful, that allows each individual to pursue who they are and to respect that. And I think that when we look at parenting books, a lot of the times we're looking at how can I quote unquote fix my kid or make sure the behavior, I can help my kid's behavior. But what I'm trying to do with Castle is to say, we're together. How are we gonna grow each other together to build out the best mom and dad, the best kid, the best family, to the best of our ability, our unique family, because no family looks the same, right? So it's just about trying to get the family to be the best version of itself. And I love that you emphasize, Donna, that no family looks the same because so many times, especially with social media, people see these images of the happy family on the beach and the happy family camping. And we think I should be doing that. My family should be that. My family should be this. And instead, when we get into that voice of what I call toxic comparison, no, our family has its unique needs, its unique ways of being. And we want us, you know, our family to be healthy and happy and finding as much joy in whatever ways work for us. You know, funny, I um, am looking, of course, at your cover the, and seeing the castle. And it just reminded me of a, a trip I recently took to Ireland. And I love their castles there and how the castles. I, I'm highlighting your use of the word belonging because the castles were situated in a way that made the people belong generally in a square or circular fashion that allowed for a place for the people to feel safe and as though they really belonged in that environment. And I just love how that image came to me. I was thinking, oh, belonging, what a beautiful word for this castle, right? Where you're in there and you're part of the life and you're doing your part and you belong in this castle. Oh, that's it's so your home. Thank you for sharing that with me. That is so beautiful. Oh, you created it. I just thought of it. <laughs> no, no what you saw in Ireland. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Well, I think that's one of the reasons they're so magical is I think when, <sighs> when we enter one of them, we can have this very possibly romanticized and idealized sense, but it's still okay. Of, Wait a second. People felt safe here. They belonged here at a time when the world was very unsettled and very unstable. This castle was our safe home and our world is, you know, is in many ways 
extraordinarily unstable and unsafe. And if we can create the castle in the home, right? That sense of safety and we are okay. We are, things are good here. We yeah. might not be able to predict what's going on out there, but things are good in this home. We, and I'll repeat them all, we are compassionate, we are accepting, we are create security, we create trust, and we have love and solid expectations, expectations that are good. And just, it just feels so perfect. So it's a, it's, I just love that. And that a castle, a definition for a castle is a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So it, it brings in again, what you're talking about. I, I, I love hearing that about Ireland. This is amazing. <laughs> Uh, so thank you so much for sharing such tremendous information are there any other pieces that we haven't talked about that you'd like to either bring up or emphasize i just think the one last thing i'd like to emphasize is there is a portion in the book on in love Mm self-love and and learning how to reparent yourself if you need to because ultimately there are a lot of parents who are walking around feeling like their child has, you know, affected them and provided issues in their lives. And that again goes back to this self-love. And that's why I want to teach this to very young children is that we need to be able to forgive our parents and understand and have compassion for them and where they were and how they were parenting. And so if we need to step back, and reset and reparent ourselves. It doesn't have to be this huge thing you go through. You'll understand it when you read the book, but you reparent yourself, you give yourself what you needed, what you felt you missed, and then you can move on and really be that parent that you wanna be because every parent wants to be the best parent they can be. And we just don't always know how to, so. You are so on point and thank you for sharing that. And for listeners, although I know you're going to snap up a copy of Donna's book so you can really understand all these concepts, self-parenting, I'll just give you a quick example. Just happened to happen the other day with a client. Client comes in rushing every day and, you know, have to do this, have to do that. And I said, well, when you came in rushing as a child, did mom make you milk and cookies, sit with you and help you process your day? And she goes, oh, God, no, what a foreign thing that is. And I said, oh, let's just create a time when you come home, you put down your things, maybe light a candle, make a cup of tea, and just allow yourself to be, to integrate your, you know, you know, what's happened in the day, or just to just relax and give yourself an apple, a cookie, some carrots, whatever feels good. And I said, that's reparenting yourself. She said, it's that simple. I said, yes, it can be that simple. You just find those moments where you weren't taught something healthy and create a space where you can learn something healthy and beneficial. And the cool part is, is not only are you teaching that to yourself, but then when you have kids or if you already have kids, you're teaching them this is positive, healthy behavior. And of course, some people need the support of a psychotherapist, but sometimes just making some of those self-parenting adjustments, it's you're nodding your head. So yes, I have the professional's agreement here. I, I have Donna's it. agreement here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Excellent. So where can our listeners find you, Donna? 
They can find me at DonnaTatro.com or on Instagram at DonnaTatro or Facebook DonnaTatro. And it's T-E-T-R-E-A-U-L-T. <laughs> Excellent. All right. I'm going to repeat that spelling because it is a bit of a tricky one. It is Donna Tetro, and it is D-O-N-N-A-T-E-T-R-E-A-U-L-T. Did I get that right? That's right. It's French. E-E-T-R-E-A-U-L-T and the Castle Method. So thank you so much for being with us today, Donna. It has been such a joy and a pleasure. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. And if you'd like more wonderful Familius content, such as the amazing book, The Castle Method, we talked about today, be sure to visit us at Familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. And thanks again, Donna, for being with us today. What a privilege and a delight. Thank you so much. I'm so happy I got to speak to you. It's been a joy. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you and take good care. Mm -hmm.